wonder what success actually means? How do you get it? And how do you keep it? We all want it, yet sometimes it feels only some of us get to have it. Hi, Teresa and Blair here. We are two badass entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, coaches, and business mentors who have had success, felt success, questioned our own success, and reclaimed it. Let's be real for a hot minute. 2020 has been a roller coaster ride, and many of us have started to wonder if they'll lose the things that made them successful. So we got curious, raw and real, about what success is truly about. Can you put it in a box? How can you get it? Can people take it away, or are you the one with the power? Does it mean the same to all of us, or are we the ones that create it? From PGA golf pros to doctors, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and spiritual mentors. We get together to meet with successful people from around the globe to dissect success through vibrant conversations and interviews. Make sure you click the subscribe button on the App Store because each week we will drop a new episode to bust through the myths around success and dissect its true meaning. Welcome back to another episode of Dissecting Success. It's me. Blair Kaplan Venables, and I'm here with the one and only Teresa Lambert. And guess where she's coming in from today? Costa Rica. Boo, boo, boo. <laughs> Anyways, I'm super stoked because we have an international conversation happening today. I'm in Canada. Uh, Teresa's in Costa Rica, and Kay is coming in from Boulder, Colorado. And I'm super excited because I, we literally just met. And so we're going to dive into what success means to her. So I'm really excited because K is AF and I'm AF too. And I just learned what that means. So K has been alcohol free since August, 1999. Juicy AF is an expression of how she's helped countless women transform from being hopeless, anxious, and ashamed into living vibrant, meaningful, laughter-filled lives. Before 99, she lived scared and lived smaller than she was meant to be. She thought a life without drinking would suck but she learned that she was wrong. And I'm so excited to dive in today to talk to Kay. I feel like Dr. Seuss, I'm rhyming all these things. <laughs> Kay, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks. And I can do it with a fox and in a box and in the rain. <laughs> Insane. I'm, yeah, I'm Dr. Seuss and right along with you here. Oh my God. Okay. So what does success mean to you? Well, it's changed profoundly. Before I stopped drinking, I thought that the promotion or the title or the money was going to impress you. And so I had to have all those things in order to be okay. Today, it is about living my ideal life and being fully comfortable and present as who I am. I love that. And, you know, this conversation is is really interesting, um, you know, reading that and learning that you've been alcohol free since 99. Like that's a huge accomplishment. So congratulations. Yeah, thanks. It's crazy, right? 23 yeah. years. That's amazing. Wow. It feels like 99 was just yesterday. Weird. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I, I am alcohol free from uh, on January 1st. It'll be four years. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. So this is really exciting because I'm, I'm on a journey. I would love to know, you know, what was this? Like, can you walk us through your journey, your bridge from, you know, drinking to being alcohol free and tell us a bit more about your story. 
Well, when I got sober, I was a senior vice president of a global ad agency running new business. You know, I thought I had it all together. And um, I had dated a guy who was was drinking more than I was. And I could kind of see the preview of coming attractions and it scared me to death. And then there was one night where I had set out to not drink anything, only Diet Cokes. And somebody offered me a glass of champagne one too many times. And I ended up, um, my older kids who were then adolescent had to undress me and put me to bed. And I woke up the next morning with the usual guilt and shame and remorse and embarrassment, but I also had clarity that this wasn't working and that I needed to stop. And early on in my experience of being alcohol-free, I walked into a recovery meeting and there was this gorgeous woman, Blair, telling her story. And she said, it was 3 a.m. I'm in my living room with my husband and my boyfriend and the police. And I thought this was perfectly normal. And she threw back this mane of auburn curls and she laughed. And I was shocked because she embodied such a sense of freedom, freedom from alcohol, but freedom from shame. And she was left with this sparkling aliveness. And I thought, oh my God, I want that. And today I want to be that for other women. I love that so much. You know, I, I also feel like that drinking has become such a socially acceptable thing. And so being so normalized that many don't even realize that they're using it as a way to escape something, to put themselves in a temporary state of numbing that allows them to feel happy and fulfilled for a short amount of time based on the high that we're experiencing in our bodies, just to find themselves in the cycle, you know, and, and oftentimes like, you know, it's amazing that you, you met this woman and she's like vibrant and alive. And she's like, I'm not drinking, (laughs) you know? And it's like, I have all that on the other side without needing to feel that because there is a different path that we can go down that allows us to get there. And it sounds like this is something that you help people with um, doing. But one thing that I'm curious about too, that I feel like, you know, maybe the two pieces tied together, I don't know, like literally I just met you, (laughs) is, is for me this like, I lived in a town now I'm I'm traveling but I lived in a town for a long time where when you make this choice not to drink people are almost like why what's wrong with you are you sick like are you like the the innate response isn't good for you the innate response is you're broken what's wrong with you and I definitely found that to be a tricky dynamic um I am not living fully alcohol free but I don't drink a lot, but occasionally I will have a drink. But, but that was something for me that was really interesting. And, and that I found, yeah, it was like, such an odd experience. And and I went through the summer alcohol free after choosing to get divorced. And I knew emotionally, I just like, I knew it wasn't good for me to do that. And I dealt with my healing and, but like, 
what do you have to say about this? Like, I feel like you have a lot to say about this. I'm so excited to hear your answer. I'm like, I can't even ask you a proper question, but this is the scenario. And, I, I, and, yeah. I have a really interesting question that might actually be part of this story because you said it. you were a high power executive at an ad agency. So yes. I want to like, maybe like Teresa went through this, you know, like I actually lived in the same place as Teresa. <laughs> That's how we know each other. And it, it it's like kind of like Canadian Vegas, like Whistler. It's a party town. It's like mm-hmm. Disneyland for adults. And it's all about drinking and partying and, and skiing and biking. But it's a very alcohol centric community. And when I went sober, it was difficult there. But I would love to know about your career and what happened to your career and like what advice you have for people like Teresa, who decided to um, when life, you know, life got very challenging and it was changing. And so she chose to cut out alcohol, but she's surrounded by it. Like, what do we do? I have so much empathy for this because I had built my entire world around drinking where I went on vacation. I mean, I worked in advertising. It's a boozy profession. Um, All my friends, we went to street fairs, you drank beer. It comes down to auditing the benefits and the costs. The benefits, I mean, we wouldn't drink if there weren't something in it. And there are certainly costs as well. When I did this, what I realized was that the benefits were short-lived and the costs were long-term. And it became a matter of making decisions based on what was important rather than what was immediate for me. And I also developed some scripts, which I teach the women that I work with for how to handle those really awkward situations when people are like, why aren't you drinking? First of all, what a rude question, right? And second of all, so rude, (laughs) so rude. Second of all, nobody needs an explanation. So some of my favorite scripts include things like Gosh, some people would say that's none of your business. Kind of salty. Uh, I'm giving a, I'm giving you a head start on tomorrow's hangover. Or when I drink, my clothes fall off, and that's not a good idea. You know, like you can handle those things with a sense of humor, with a sense of sassiness. Nobody needs to know that you aren't drinking because it's not working for you. It's the stigma of saying you have a problem. This is what's so fucked up with our society. There's a more of a stigma for not drinking than there is for drinking. Like, there is something really wrong with that. So true. Like I, I, and I noticed it more when I stopped drinking. It's like everywhere you go, the socks, like if you can read this, bring me wine. And like mommy wine culture is so big and it's normal to get together in the middle of the day, like, and have drinks or like boozy brunches. And I was right in there, like party animal. I was voted wildest party animal in grade 12. And like, I was very congratulations. But really, I'm just a child of divorce who had significant trauma and I liked my, I thought people liked me better when I was drinking. Um, yeah. but it's, it's so normalized. Like I, I was just, I'm, I've been out and about in the community where I live going into shops to see what Christmas decorations are because I'm Jewish and kind of new to Christmas because my husband celebrates. So I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> fun decorations, fun. everything. There's a lot of booze centric decorations and napkins. And, but why, why are we glorifying a bottle of wine? 
You know, I think that, uh, well, ironically, ironically, I used to work in the advertising business and I worked on the Coors Beer account and maybe not so ironically, everything that big business does is to make money. And so turning Halloween, I was at the inflection point when Halloween transitioned from being a little kid's thing to being a booze filled, you know, drunk fest. And it was the manufacturers and the advertisers, it was the big beer companies that really made that a thing. And so it's not that there are people in these big companies wanting to do evil. I mean, they're trying to make a living and send their kids to college and pay their mortgages. It's not that they're evil and trying to poison us. And I'm sure the unintended consequence is a culture that endorses and revolves around drinking. I mean, mommy wine culture, basically the message there is you have to be blasted in order to be with your kids. And that's a, I mean, I did it. You know what I mean? Like I, I was a drinking mom until my kids were at a lot, my older kids were adolescents. Um, I got to tell you, being a mom is really hard and really draining and really overwhelming. It's a lot easier when you're not buzzed and not hungover. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting with this cultural aspect around drinking and this, it's almost like you're the cool kid when you're, you know, drinking. It's kind of like this whole, like you're with everyone or you're on the other side, like you're, you're a minority if you're, if you're sober. And the, it is so strange how we have created this, this like idea of like, you know, like when it's a celebration, we drink. When it's a birthday, we drink. When we're happy, we drink. When we're when we're bored, we drink. When we're hanging out outside, we drink. Like when we're going yeah. to work events, we drink. Like it's like become very, very ingrained. And one thing that I have found so interesting for myself as I have, you know, gone through times where I wasn't drinking for months, where I've gone through times where I was drinking all the time to to now really looking at like it, always checking in am I coming from a place of enjoyment or avoidance like am I picking to have a drink because I'm emotionally avoiding something and I don't want to feel it right now and knowing that then I'll just delay what I need to feel and I feel it worse and feel shittier when it actually comes or am I actually having a drink out of out of real enjoyment and and it's like I don't you know like I don't see alcohol as like the evil of all things I don't think it's a bad thing to choose to have a drink but one thing that I found really powerful even for myself was noticing the difference where now I can have one beer because I really feel like I enjoy the taste of the beer and I love sitting there and it, it tastes good and I enjoy it but I'm not coming off this place from like I'm not numbing anything. And consequently, I also don't have to urge to overdrink. Whereas when I, for a long time, drinking was a, was a way to just escape and avoid. Like, how do you support your clients? I'm curious to move away from this because I do think that there's a lot of people that are, you know, artificially trying to be happy 
by avoiding feeling <laughs> anything. And so they drink and, you know, also do drugs. Um, quite honestly, it's, it's, you know, not just a drinking, but it, like, how do we break this pattern? Like, the headline thought is that we tend to drink to take the edge off, but really biologically drinking as few as seven drinks a week creates anxiety. Drinking creates anxiety. Why? Well, there's a thing called homeostasis, right? Where your body tries to stay in a safe zone and our bodies tend to anticipate that the booze is going to come in even seven drinks a week. And so because alcohol sedates, it ratchets our anxiety up so that we stay in a safe zone. Secondly, it screws with your sleep and disrupted sleep results in higher levels of cortisol, which is a stress hormone. And third, it, um, wrecks our gut biome. I mean, you use alcohol to kill bacteria, same thing happens in your gut. And that gut disruption also through your vagus nerve also messes with your mental health to create a higher level of anxiety. Compounding the problem, our neural circuits get rewired. So that habit of picking up a drink when you feel uncomfortable in your own skin, it gets hardwired into our bodies way before we think we have a problem. So there are physiological things going on that no amount of willpower or hoping it's different or trying to think your way out of it, that just doesn't, isn't a thing when it's your biology that set you up to be on this slippery slope and you're on it before you know it. Okay. Yeah. So true. <laughs> Such a slippery slope. And I think people can stop drinking even if you like don't identify with having an addiction or you don't. Oh my gosh. Yes. And I think think that's part of the problem with some of the programs, some of the famous programs, well-known programs for not drinking is the insistence that you have to hit rock bottom and admit complete defeat. I call bullshit on that. Mm -hmm. I think that when I get to a point where I don't, I can't show up for my kids or for my job or for myself when I'm hungover three days a week or four days a week, and I decide it's not working for me, or I decide, hey, I'm going to try for 30 days and see what happens to my anxiety and my sleep and my energy. You don't have to hit rock bottom. I, I just think that we do ourselves such a disservice to insist on that. Yeah, I totally agree. And I guess one of my questions I asked earlier that I really want to talk about is how you bridged from being, um, a, you know, a drinking high powered ex- executive to being a sober high powered executive to juicy AF. It really has to do with the amount of energy that gets freed up. I did not realize how much energy I was draining every single day, not only because I was hungover and I was trying to like get to feeling physically okay, but I was spinning this image, this hologram, like Princess Leia with that thing, you know, I was out there spinning this hologram of everything's fine, nothing to see here, pass on by. 
And once I got honest and, and got some freedom from the shame and got some ability to be matter of fact about what was going on in my life, that amount of energy that got freed up, oh my gosh, within a few years, I had increased my income by a multiple of six. I'd started two businesses, written my first book, adopted a child from China, met and married the love of my life, moved to my home, my favorite hometown. I mean, it was like, oh my God, what the heck is happening to me? And I had no idea. I thought that my drinking life was full of magic and color. But when I stopped drinking, my real life became full of magic and color. Oh my gosh. That's so beautiful. And it's interesting because what I noticed in my first year of sobriety, so I run my own business. I have a communications company and it's about to be 15 years old. And my sobriety journey is almost four years old. And that's amazing. Thank you. And I, so I'm in this, a similar space of understanding like the drinking culture and the schmooze and booze and, you know, um, right. but what I realized in my first year of sobriety is that I had to relearn how to do everything sober. Yeah. Yep. Going out, like making friends, conversations, meeting with clients, like everything in my business life, everything in my personal life. And I'm still learning. Like I still like, I still am having firsts sober and it's like, I've had a rebirth. And since choosing sobriety, I've had a lot of terrible things happen to me, like not because of sobriety, just because of my, the cards I was dealt. And if anyone out there listening has followed along, like it's a little traumatic trigger warning, but like my husband almost died. Um, my husband almost died. We had a miscarriage a couple of weeks later, my father-in-law died couple months later, my mom suddenly died. Then my dad died in the same year as my mom. And I still stayed sober. And while being sober and navigating the biggest traumas I've ever experienced, my business made more money than it ever had. And I wasn't even all in in my business. How could you when you're going through that? So it's really interesting because to me, that was like a real life science experiment that I didn't ask for. I really identify with what you're talking about. Life happens whether you're alcohol-free or not. And what I found, you know, similar, similar, um, three miscarriages in a year, you know, adopting a child from China, which was fraught. I was launching two businesses simultaneously. Like it was, it was a lot. New marriage, uh, adolescent kids, one leaving to go to college. Like it was a lot, a lot. And the things that I learned about how to be comfortable in my own skin, alcohol-free, helped me walk through those things with a little bit of grace and dignity and so much learning, so much learning. I mean, I feel like that's why we're here. We're here because we're having this series of experiences and we get to choose whether we're going to learn the lessons from them or if we're going to numb out. And what I have chosen is to learn the lessons and apply what I've learned as I reach new things. That's what's cool about being alcohol-free 23 years later. Like I do have a lot of sober history, but I've never done today today before. I've never met you two before. We've never had this conversation before. And so how do the principles that keep me okay being alcohol-free, principles like being really honest and being compassionate and having a sense of amusement, how do those show up in my day 
today. That's what keeps being alcohol-free interesting to me. And I think this is a good time. And that was beautiful. This is a good time to talk about your book. I'm super excited about my book. I have a book that'll be released on January 10th. It's called Juicy AF, alcohol-free, of course. And the subhead is Stop the Drinking Spiral, Create Your Future. And it really teaches women, number one, how to tell whether or not alcohol is working for you. Number two, if you decide you want to experiment by taking a break, some really, really practical things you can do to set yourself up for success. And then the third part is about now that you've got all this newfound energy and less anxiety, how do you embody and become your ideal future self? I love this. First of all, congratulations on your book. Thanks. That is so exciting. We're both authors ourselves, so we appreciate the work and dedication that goes in, and that is such a huge accomplishment. And I love that. I love that you are on this mission to show people that we can become all that we want to be and have these beautiful, vibrant, colorful lives. I feel like that is is the words that you would use um, in a different way in our own way, without needing to enhance it through something that comes outside of us, by, but by simply getting to know who we really are and, and owning that fully. And I, I love that. And I feel like that is such a game changer. It's so magic for me to work with women and see within you know the 30-day experiment to see that little pilot light behind their eyes come back on. Oh my God, it's like watching, a, it really is. It's watching a rebirth. It is the most magical experience. It just gives me goosebumps. I absolutely love this. This is so good. And we'll make sure that there is a link to, to get the book as well in the show notes so that people can check that out because I feel like this will speak to a lot of people and and I know um, a friend of mine Kathy um, she she was uh, talking about sober curiosity at one point and um, I really appreciated that and she sort of did her own little experiment of what it was like to go sober in our town and she wrote an article about that and I feel like anybody's listening who is curious, curious even about, you know, what sobriety would be like, curious about even having, like, take 30 days to not drink, right? Like, like just, just dip your toe in and see what happens. But it sounds like this book could be a beautiful place for you to start. So I want to just take a moment to encourage everyone to check it out and, or to reach out to, to Kay here or find out more about how which which I wanted to ask, what's a good place for people to maybe get more of K? Um, so first I want to say you're right. Like everything that I have in the book and the workbook and the journal, they're all experiments. See what works for you. See what works. Do not believe me. I'm gonna help you stage this experiment and you go have the experience and decide what you want to do with the information. So on my website, juicyaf.life forward slash book, you can not only get the book, but a workbook and a journal that will help you take the ideas and put them into application in your life. And it's only available on my website. 
Awesome. And can people find you on social media at all? Or is it? Oh, uh, gosh, yes. On Instagram, it's juicy underscore AF underscore life. So juicy AF life. Amazing. And uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Those are my two places. Okay. I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm excited to connect over on, on LinkedIn as well, on LinkedIn and on Instagram with you. I hang out on Instagram a lot. And I know sometimes people listening really want to sort of see, you know, what else is there to have? So this is amazing. So Kay, what would you say, like for people that are maybe at this beginning journey, um, you know, of of exploring this, of dipping that toe in, where would you say they they should start? Like, what's a piece of advice you would give of somebody who maybe is listening and thinks, huh, I'm curious if this would really help me make some positive changes in my life? So I would say three things. Number one, do that audit I was talking about. Write down on a piece of paper on the left-hand side, the benefits on the right-hand side, the costs, and circle the three things that are the most important to you. The second thing that I would say is consider a seven-day or a 30-day experiment. You don't have to give up drinking forever. You don't have to worry about not being able to drink champagne at your wedding. Like, Seriously, give yourself seven days or 30 days. But then the third thing is make a 100% commitment to the seven days or the 30 days. Why? Because it's actually easier if you make a 100% commitment than if you make a 99% commitment because you make one decision and you're done. This is amazing. Those are such, such brilliant tips. And, you know, from personal experience, just this summer, I can say that like it really has changed so much for me and obviously I had a lot of healing to do and I've been on this path of of uh, my own development and really stepping into who I am and, and self-exploration and self-love from a, for a really long time but I'm in a very different place in my life than I was in May of 2022 so you know that's not too long ago now and and having had those periods of times where I didn't drink at all made such a big difference in my life that that it really has inspired me to to generally just drink less and and be way more conscious about it. And I notice when I drink, like when I get into habits where I drink more, um, I notice the difference, like huge difference. So I'm so excited for everybody listening. Um, thank you so much, Kay, for coming on. This was such a brilliant conversation and such a different conversation around you know success and how af can support us into massive expansion in our lives in our businesses in our careers in a very different way creating success a different way a new way and a way that shouldn't be questioned everyone so next time <laughs> see somebody not drinking don't ask them why Maybe just say, good for you. And I love that. Leave it so, at that. Leave it at that. It's okay. Thank you so, My so pleasure. much for joining us. Blair, any more thoughts from you before we wrap? No, I'm just, if you're out there and you're alcohol-free for a week, a month, 30 years, everything in between and more, I'm proud of you. Yeah, so it's that, a beautiful thing. Yeah, and it's it's great. And, you know, uh, if you're in our community and you want to explore sobriety um, or you're sober curious, reach out to me. I love talking about it. I have people reaching out to me all the time. And I do recommend getting Juicy AF. Um, right now, you can pre-buy the book on your web, on um, Kay's website. And yeah, it just is 
this is another resource and there's lots of resources out there. I'm obviously someone who's a huge like sobriety cheerleader. And yeah, if you want to explore this journey, I will hold your hand. And I guess with that, it's a great time to say thank you to everyone for tuning in, listening to another episode, listening to us dissect success and sobriety. Okay, it's been awesome. Teresa, you're amazing. Blair, you're great. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Peace. Bye. That's a wrap for another episode of Dissecting Success. Enjoyed this episode? Make sure to subscribe to Blair Kaplan Venables and Teresa Lambert's podcast, Dissecting Success on the App Store. And follow us on Instagram at Teresa Lambert Coaching and Blair from Blairland to stay up to date on our latest episodes, badass offers, and more.